Awesome. God is so good. This is ridiculous how good he is. Um, like I said, um, I already kind of preached this in the first service, and the main point is, like, when God sets a way, don't get in the way. So then him doing all that, I was like, man, apparently he's got a plan. Um, so it's so cool, him kind of um, giving me the opportunity to be obedient after teaching on, like, get out of the way. It's like, all right, hey, by the way, we're doing this now. It's like, okay, I did not plan that. This was not for me, you know. It's like I didn't plan for um, worship to bleed into to, uh, like a healing service and, and all this, but God is good. And the thing is, when those things happen, it's like we can clearly say, look what the Lord did today. It's not like, look what the team was able to do while Pastor and Cesar were gone. Like, the team did a great job today. Like, no, God just <laughs> decided to show up, you know. Um, so really, really cool, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I have a pleasure on kind of building on top of what Pastor Meredith um, shared on Wednesday and what Pastor Bailey shared on Sunday. And I feel like God's just kind of stacking these lessons for us. Um, Bailey's lesson being that, you know, and if you didn't, if you weren't here uh, Sunday or Wednesday, we have them online. Watch the services because they're both really, really good. Um, but Pastor Bailey talked about how we have to submit under authority. And if we don't, then we don't have authority of that thing. So the example being, scripturally, uh, these uh, I think it was five, these five Jewish leaders, they hear about how the disciples and Jesus are exercising demons and the authority of Jesus, Paul. Um, they're, they're exercising um, demons. And so the Jewish leaders are like, we want to do that. We'll do that because people are hearing about it and they're raving about it. So if we do that, then they'll rave about us. So they go out, they find a demon and doesn't go good for them. They're like, an, an authority of Jesus. And the demon just looks at him like, I know Jesus, but I have no clue who you are. And um, basically it says he, he beats all of them and sends them running naked out. And if you know anything about Jewish culture and leaders, it was not good to be seen naked ever. Um, and um, sure, I'll take that. Um, so obviously they're running for their lives because no one out of in their right mind like just starts running out of a building naked um, if they're in their right mind. But they were um, seeking safety, so they're running away from the demons. So obviously it didn't work, and the reason why it didn't work is because they didn't actually submit their lives under the name of Jesus. You can't just say like I'm using Jesus' power, but you're not even following the teachings of Jesus and under His uh, jurisdiction. That's like me going out and trying to like I see something like someone. Um, you know, cuts me off in traffic, or I see someone, like, blow a red light, and I pull them over, and I'm like, I'm going to arrest you. It's like, who are you? It's like, well, I'm going to arrest you because this is the law, and Neen Heist wouldn't like this. It's like, okay, but who are you? It's like, are you a deputy? Well, well, no, but but it's still against the law. You're still breaking. It's like, I don't care. If you are not under that authority, you don't have the authority. So crazy revelation. Watch that. That was uh, Pastor Bailey on Sunday. Um, and then Pastor Meredith was teaching us about um, purity and having pure uh, worship and maintaining that relationship with Jesus as the number one relationship that it should be. It's the one relationship that matters the most in our lives. Nothing else matters. And then the quote that really hit me hard uh, that she read from her book was that um, purity must have a knife at popularity's throat. If you ever have a situation in your life where it's, oh, sacrifice just a little bit of purity 
to gain attention or to be popular, to be cool, or, or to do what will make you look better, it's not worth it. Like, it needs to be so intense that if anything even threatens purity just a little bit, you just need to kill that thing um, and die to its, uh, uh, fly to, fly, die to the flesh. Fly to the dash. Um, so, but today I'll be adding on to that. So we've talked about submission, we've talked about purity, but today we're talking about anointing. And the reason why um, I've kind of used this um, graphic here is because the anointing is basically God picking you and saying, I have a path for you. I have something I want you to do. And so there is a way. And I guess it kind of looks like planets in the background. And then if you watch Star Wars or Mandalorian, um, they have the saying where they say, this is the way. Um, and it's basically this old Star Wars tribe of um, Mandalorians, and they have a code to stand by. Like, they have to do these certain things with this code of honor, and if there's a situation where something's like asking you to dishonor that, they're like, no, I cannot do that. This is the way. I'm going to do it the right way. So this is my version of that the biblical way that Jesus has for us. Like, what parts in life can we say, no, this is the way. This is how we're supposed to do it, and we're going to stay strong to it. Um, so God, um, anointing must be seen as God's direction, and therefore his plan um, is from beginning to end. Therefore, we must not get in the way and cause roadblocks, hurdles, but instead stay on course on his direction, focused, with no shortcuts, no alternative routes, um, he has made a way. Who are you to think that you have a better plan? Um, and my analogy in the morning was, before Google Maps, and I guess Google Maps and Apple Maps, they still kind of mess up every once in a while, but they're pretty solid right now. Um, but back when I was uh, playing soccer, my family, my parents would always have to go to like MapQuest, print out directions, and um, you've never been there, so you're just trusting what the internet is saying, like this is how you get there, and you're like, okay, let's go for it. Um, but the thing is, I don't know if you've ever been, like Google Maps currently and Apple Maps, they'll reroute you know, if, a, if a road is, is blocked or traffic's really bad. They'll tell you the fastest way to get there because they know. Well, God knows too. So who are you? Think about yourself in that way. In the car, if Apple Maps says, take this way, it'll take 45 minutes. And you're like, no, I got a shortcut. You take the shortcut, you end up in traffic. Now you're an hour late. That's kind of what happens here. It's like God has given you a path and you're like, Yes, I see the destination you have for me, God. I have a quicker way to get there, though. I'm pretty sure you don't. Um, and if you do, there's going to be a lot of painful things in the way, and it's just not worth it. You have to sacrifice certain things for that. So what is anointing anyways? Um, oftentimes we speak of anointing as if it's a, a talent God's given us or someone. Um, yet I wouldn't agree that this is necessarily the best description because biblically we don't actually have too many examples where anointing is literally a talent, but it's rather the whole person. Like David was anointed. So he was, well, until some point, he was a good king. He handled people well. He worshiped. He fought well. He was a warrior. He was also a musician. He's anointed in multiple areas. It's not just, oh, he's, he's a talented musician. No, like his whole life is just anointed. Um, and then the same thing for, for Samuel, the same thing for, um, for Jesus, clearly. And, um, and then we also have Abram. There's just, when there's anointing on you, it's not necessarily one specific task or skill. It's like there's anointing on your whole life, but sometimes it manifests through a certain talent or skill. Like Meredith, she writes a lot of music, and clearly God has 
given her a path to reach people by writing music, by worshiping, by leading them, but the anointing itself isn't the music. The anointing shows through the music because she has been anointed, and then when she plays music, you're like, this is a little bit different than someone just playing music. There's something deeper, and that's inside of her. And we all have that same anointing because that anointing comes from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit upon us. So when you see someone else's anointing, you're like, I wish I had that anointing. You do. Everyone has the same exact anointing. It all comes from the Holy Spirit. So we all have the same anointing, but it all just reveals itself in different ways because God has different paths for us. I'm not called to play piano or sing, so there, my anointing doesn't lie or, or show itself in that area, but I'm a little bit more visual-driven, uh, and God uses me that way. When I explain analogies, people are like, how do you come up with these? I'm like, I just don't. They're just in my head. Like, it's not like I'm like trying to make the best connection. It's just there, and God's given me that anointing like that. That's how he shows himself. But the Hebrew word for anoint is meshach, which refers to spreading or smearing of liquid. Anointing in the Bible signifies that God is staking claim. Um, again, just uh, meshach is the Hebrew word for anoint, and in Greek it would be Christos. So it's like Christ and Messiah really just mean anointed one. And um, technically, in, in Jewish culture, there were several other religious ceremonies and events where people would get um, anointed, so Jesus wasn't the only anointed one. Literally, if there was a Jewish event, because it's just their way to say the one that was smeared with oil, like the same way you would call a groom, the person that's going to get married, he's the groom. The person that's going to get anointed at today's ceremony is the Messiah. Jesus is not the only Messiah. He's the Messiah, though, like the ultimate Messiah. So technically, everyone today that got oil on them, you were all Messiah. You were all Christ today. You were all the anointed ones. And also, I think it's interesting when you think about it, we call ourselves Christians proudly. Well, what does Christians mean? If Christ is anointed, we are anointed ones. So if you're claiming Christianity over yourself, you're claiming God has called me apart. God has a special path for me. I am anointed. His oil is over me. It's literally what Christian means. It's not just, oh, I follow Christ. Well, you're saying I follow the anointed one, but also Christian means little Christ, so little anointed ones. You are saying you are anointed, you're just not the anointed one, which is great. I'm not saying we should say we're the Messiah, but we're all Messiahs and we're all Christ. Um, so we covered that. I'm going to have to blast through these because I don't have as much time as this morning. Um, so everyone gets that. Cool. So in the, in the scriptures, the most common three ways the, the people would be anointed is if they were either priests, prophets, or kings. And the priest's job was basically to talk to God on the people's behalf like we see still today um, in, the, in the Catholic religion, people will go to the priest to ask for forgiveness of sins, and then the priest is supposed to then take those um, and take them to, to, the, to the Lord. Um, whereas we kind of, you know, go, go directly to the Father. Then we have prophets, and they talk to people on God's behalf. So it's then flipped. So prophet gets something from God, tells it to the people. And the cool thing is, then we have kings, and they're kind of like the two sides of the coin. They have to do both. It's like, okay, as a king, people expect you to do the right thing. You're supposed to be my representative, right? Like, we say that for our government. Our government is supposed to represent the people. Doesn't always do it well, but it's supposed to represent the people. Well, in Hebrew times, the king is supposed to represent his people, but he's also supposed to represent God. You're supposed to be godly, do, do like, you know, um, lead in a godly manner. So, there's no wonder why in the Bible most kings fail. Like, if your job was 
be as close to God as possible, do godly things, and represent the people. That's a lot of pressure that, like, you got to talk to God. You got to talk to people. You're the bridge. Make sure everything stays connected. It's, like, a lot to ask for. And that's why the only real example of that king that could do that was Jesus. Um, David did a decent job, but obviously um, that she kind of fell apart. Um, so if we consider ourselves now little anointed ones, that means we are kings. You know, he's the king of kings. Who are the other kings and queens? We are. Um, so we have to realize that now we, as well, serve as the bridge between God and his people, and doing so by being madly in love with him and following his instructions and living life as an example for others to follow. Or, I kind of simplified a little bit, um, your job as an anointed one is to love him above everything else, is to listen to his instructions quickly and correctly, and to lead his people um, righteously, so with honor. Um, because you can lead people and not do it God's way, and it's not going to end well. So you have to do every, all those things. You have to love him, listen to him, and lead people, and do it all in the character that he has given us. So let's take a look at some um, examples of anointed people in, in the Bible. I'd like to start with Abraham, because, or Abram at first. That was his name before it got changed. Uh, because when I stumbled on this, I was like, man, this like anointing and these examples and hurdles, there's like a bunch of examples just in his story in every single chapter. So I'm going to start in chapter 12, and I'm just going to start reading. Now the Lord, at Genesis chapter 12, um, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land and I, that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And it kind of just goes on and on and on, and basically... Um, Abraham makes like an altar, and he's just like, wow, this is so great. God's promised me that I'm going to have, I'm going to create a nation, which, how do you create a nation? Well, you have to have lots of offspring, and you have to have lots of land, lots of resources, and then, you know, utilize all of it. That's how you create a nation. So he's like, man, what a promise. I'm going to create an altar. This is so cool. And then we get to verse 10, and it's him going to Egypt. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman of beautiful appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, uh, but they will let you live. So say you're my sister, that, I'm, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake." So it's very interesting that like God promised all these things to him, and he's like, wow, so cool. So cool that I'm going to build an altar. And then he goes to Egypt and looks at people, and he's like, oh, man, like these people are going to kill me because I have a beautiful wife, and they want my wife. But if God just promised you you're going to have a nation, first of all, in order to have offspring, you have to be alive, and you have to have a wife, <laughs> okay? Like, it doesn't work any other way. And... Um, and then he goes into this land, he sees the Egyptians, and they're like, they're going to take my life and my wife. And it's like, God's already told you, like, that's not what's going to happen. So out of fear, he does this thing, and his wife agrees, and they, she goes by sister, and then Pharaoh does take her as a wife. So now the issue he's trying to avoid caused the issue, and he messed it all up. It's like, just listen to God's promise. 
stay strong with it, and don't try to help him out. You helping God out is like doing the opposite. <laughs> like you're not helping God out trying to like outsmart people. If God's promised it, just be strong on his promise. So again, I think honestly, everyone, you should probably go home and read just all of that. Genesis like 12 until like Abraham dies at the end. And you're like, wow, God's promises are crazy. And they're so evident. Like he tells him what's going to happen and he breaks it or he follows it and he'll either have a curse or a blessing depending on it. So um, we have that. So don't doubt um, or you're going to create awkward speed bumps. Like he had, a, had to have a whole conversation with Pharaoh. Like, because Pharaoh told, uh, God told Pharaoh, like, by the way, technically you didn't do anything wrong because you didn't know, but you're doing something wrong. And I already told Abraham, I'm going to curse everyone that's messing with him. So you're cursed right now. And he's like, what? What's going on? Abraham, what did you do to me? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's not my sister. That's my wife. Um, so now he had this awkward conversation. So if you don't like awkward conversations, just listen to God. Okay, um, so we move on. God's promise is still intact because he fixes things and, and gets out of his lies and deceit. Um, God's promise is still active and is still happening. He's actually so blessed, in fact, and growing that he gets to the point where his family and tribe and possessions and um, even his nephew Lot could not possess any more land or sustain where, at least where they were at. So in order to expand, they're kind of like overlapping now and the families are fighting each other like, oh, whose property is this? Whose land? Whose, whose, whose goat is this? Like, it's so intermingled at this point. So they're like, all right, we need to like go different ways because things are getting weird. Um, so then we go to verse um, eight and I think this... Chapter 13. Uh, chapter 13, verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Um, it is not, the whole land is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So he's like, man, this land is amazing. But what he doesn't know is like, as we can read before, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So that land wasn't going to be that land forever. But God knew that. And also, obviously, Lot kind of brought it on himself and those people. But Lot looked up. He's like, all right, Abraham's giving me the choice between first pick, which land do you want to take? They're on like a hill. They're looking across, and Lot is like, well, there's the water. Like, that looks beautiful. There's, you know, it, there's life there. There's vegetation. There's water, which then I'm assuming means, like, the rest was kind of deserty. Um, and Lot's like, I'm going to take that. That looks great. And then we get to what happens next. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, so Lot's going to that land now, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward um, and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also will be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre um, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar for the Lord. So again, God blessed him, and he built an altar. And what I thought was so cool is this time, Abraham has, like, faith in, like, okay, God's promised this, so because God's already promised me, I'm going to have all the land, all the offspring that I need. I'm going to have a great nation. I'm going to let my nephew have whatever he wants because God is supplying everything, and he's promised it's, like, 
as, as much, if you could count dust, like that's how much offspring I have. My blessing will be so numerous, you, it's, it's in, like it's impossible to count. So therefore, why would I withhold anything from my nephew? Let him just have whatever he wants. Like, I don't care. Um, he can have it. He can have first pick. And of course, he picks what looks better. And Abraham didn't correct him like, well, no, I thought you're going to pick the other one because you knew God promised me the good stuff. It's like, no, like he let him have it. And then God told him like, actually, what you see now is the promise. So the cool thing is when we are so confident in what God has for us and what his anointing, his blessing for our life is, um, and we just stay confident in it, no matter what other people do, people can't steal your anointing if we just stay focused on who he is. Um, there's, there's more than enough, you know, God is lim limitless. There's more than enough oil, if you want to call it that. He's not going to run out. So who are you to uh, be scared that someone wants to take something from you. Um, so either way, let's move on. Um, he saw the, oh, I wanted to bring this up too, that the imagery that it uses there when it says Lot looked up and he saw that the land was good is the same phrasing in Hebrew that it used when Eve, after the, after the serpent says, um, did God really say that? Like, are you really going to die? Because I'm pretty sure you won't die. You're actually going to know pretty much everything that God knows if you eat this. And it says, Eve looked at, uh, um, at the fruit and saw that it was good, which obviously, again, it was a physical appearance. It was good, but it was not good in the end. Like, it, uh, it, it caused a curse upon all of us. But the cool thing is that, um, again, God is painting that image of, like, we look up into the physical and we reach for what we think is good, which clearly Eve was deceived Lot, I think, was deceived in a sense. He just trusted his spirit. I'm going to go, uh, his, his, his um, physical, he's like, this looks good. I'm going to go after that. Then we have, um, obviously, David. David saw um, Bathsheba and said, she's beautiful. Not a good choice to go after. Like, you're not necessarily wrong, but this is not for you. So he's claiming it, and it's based off of what you're seeing. Then we have Jesus' example, and um, Satan tempts him, and he says, Look at all this. This, is, this can all be yours. If you just, like, denounce the Lord right now, everything will be yours. You'll own all of this. And, I mean, it doesn't tell us in the scriptures, but I'd like to pretend that Satan was in physical form next to Jesus, and he's saying all this, and Jesus is just, like, staring at him like, nope, God's promised me all these other things already. Like, I'm, I don't believe anything you're saying. And he didn't even look out into the expanse. Like, you know, like, Satan said, like, oh, look, into, look, look at all this. I, th I don't even think Jesus even looked. He's like, what's there to look at? Like, this is not an option. Um, so when we look through our spiritual eyes, we oftentimes will stay in our anointing versus when we look with our physical eyes is when we take ourselves out of our anointings or our blessings he has for us. Um, so yeah. Um, dun, 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 dun. Um, then we continue even further. After rescuing Lot, um, <laughs> being blessed by Melchizedek, Abram brings up, Lord, I still have no offspring. So I guess one of my family members, like that's not an offspring, like not a son, but maybe like another nephew or cousin. Oh, it's going to be one of those, I guess. And, and then the Lord checks him. This is chapter 15. Look towards heaven and the number of the stars. You are able, if you are able to number them, then he said to them, you sh um, so shall your offspring be. So again, the Lord gives him another visual of like, dude, I'm going to give you as many offspring as an uncountable number. Like it's... And it's always like a different example. And he's like, can you just get it? And this time it says, um, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So I feel like it's almost like a credit. Like he's like, he put it in his bank, in his mind. He's like, okay, I got it this time. 
the Lord will provide offspring. They're going to be literal sons. And then we get to verse 16, again, uh, chapter 15. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, so look, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Um, going back to the, this is the way. If God told you that you're going to have offspring and you already messed up one time by calling your wife your sister and you're like, okay, that was, let's not talk about that anymore. Um, <laughs> and then this situation happens and your wife is like, okay, maybe you'll have offspring, but it won't be through me. Like, just use someone else. And he's just like, it says he listened. It doesn't say, like, he argued with her. He's like, yes, yeah, of course. Um, so I think there, that is not a godly example, obviously. Like, he's seeing the end result. It's like, well, yeah, God's promised me offspring. Yeah, sure, like, you haven't had kids yet, so I, I guess we can't. So the next logical thing is let's sleep with a servant, and we'll have these kids. So we're making God's will happen. And I think that's where God has an issue with that. Because we get Ishmael, and the problem is Hagar and Sarai don't like each other. Surprise. Um, so now you have a weird family dynamic that could have just been avoided. But the cool thing is God still blesses Ishmael and, and says that he's going to um, be over certain nations, and, and out of him will come princes and such. So it's cool. He still gets a blessing. So despite it not being the, the chosen one specifically that God had in mind for Abram, um, he still blesses the mistake. He still takes the bad and turns it for good. But God does not let it slide in the sense of like, oh, now all these promises just apply to this Ishmael you made happen. No, you're still going to have Isaac. And then he promises to Abram and to um, Sarah, you're going to have a, um, a son. And now they're laughing again. Like, he's laughing at a time. She hears about it later. She's laughing about it. And then um, they have a baby, I'm sure. Then God's laughing about it. Um, <laughs> He's got a good humor. Um, I'm just like, I'm at, that's so funny. Um, but then at that point, we do get Isaac, and then God is like, this is the one that all the promises that I've promised will come through. This is the fulfillment of the promise. And then he finally gets it. But again, he kind of messed it up along the way. And I think the big lesson there is the reason why God does that. Why didn't he just use Ishmael? Like, does God, like, not approve of Ishmael? Or, like, it's not his fault, you know? And no, I think it's just literally because if he would have let Ishmael become the son of the promise, then Abraham and Sarah could have said, look, we made it happen. We made it happen. But it's like they made something happen, and then God is like, well, I'm not using that. That's not how I made your promise happen. And then he brought Isaac, which was like completely impossible, because now they were even older, and they're already laughing it off, and then it happened. And so then... <clears throat> You know, God proves that, like, it's not through what you did, but it's through, look what the Lord has done. And that's what I was talking about this morning, you know, like, let's get out of the way. Because as soon as we have an anointing and even we have certain promises, we know what we should be doing, we know certain uh, promises He has for us, certain tasks, uh, certain prophetic words people have spoken over us, we just really feel them deeply in our heart. There are certain things that we're like, okay, I know these things are going to happen, but as soon as you try to force them to happen, you're making it so much worse. Because now, look what I've done. And then God is putting a halt to that. So, 
Don't ever justify doing things outside of his character simply because you wanted to make his will happen. You are already breaking his will by being outside of his character. You've already gone off the path. Follow his path, and um, you'll get to the promises, the goals, and the dreams he has for you if you go with full faith and never wavering from his character. God would not approve you achieving what you think are his dreams for you if you do it in a way that pushes others down and degrades his image in the process that you have on your life. We're all made in the image of God. So if you have to like almost push that image down a little bit to make happen what he's promised, then he's not going to bless that. You've already, you're, you're using the excuse that I'm following the path by going off the path. It's just, it's not logical. Um, so we often halt God's promises or make life messier by trying to rush what he's already given us and promised us. But when we do so, God has um, to undo things sometimes and bring us through some tough lessons so in the end, when the promise really does happen, it was not in our way, but in his way. Look what the Lord has done. Um, so let's move through Abram. We're done with that. Um, just breeze through David. And um, David, again, like you can read his account too. He's done so many different things. He was anointed when he was young in front of his brothers, despite him being the youngest one. He then played for Saul the liar, played the strings for him because Saul needed uh, support for that. So that's interesting because God anointed David to be king while Saul, uh, Saul was king. So David submits himself. He's like, I'm going to play for the guy that I'm supposed to replace and respect him because this is the thing to do. This is the way. Where he could have easily used the excuse, well, God's promised me I'm going to be king there's multiple situations where I'm really close to him. I could just take him out, which literally happens later. After he kills Goliath, um, Saul chases him down because he gets jealous, and there's multiple times David could have killed Saul. And he's like, this is not the way. This is not how we do things. It says in the scriptures, don't harm the anointed ones. Saul is still anointed. He's still king. He's untouchable. I can't do that. And people are like, but you've, and like his people knew too, like, but he's right there. He's literally not a good king, and you're supposed to be king, like, you earned it. He's just, I don't care. This is not the way to make it happen right now. Even if I do deserve it, which I think everyone should always, like, you know, themselves, like, not necessarily see themselves as deserving it. Let other people <laughs> tell you that you deserve it. Humble yourself. But even if you did deserve it, that doesn't mean you get to say when it comes to fruition, when it happens. God's in control of that. And we need to stay humble with that. Now, another good example with looking through the eyes, when David um, went to the field and he saw Goliath, he doesn't say, wow, this guy was big. Oh, my goodness. That's what all the other people are saying. He, he walks there. He doesn't see with physical eyes. He sees with spiritual eyes. He says, who is this heathen that's, like, just trashing our nation and dishonoring our God? And, again, if you're set apart and you're told, like, this is going to be your nation, he's literally disrespecting your kingdom. Like, this, this is yours. It's not just your country, but you, you were promised that you're going to be the leader of the country. So now he's almost, like, living into, into that promise already. Like, I'm a leader of this country. I'm not going to stand for this. This guy's threatening that our country's going to end today. So I'm going to end him today and reclaim our country. Goes to Saul, says, I want to take down Goliath. Saul says, don't do it. You're too young. Um, you're not going to be able to do it. At least put some armor on. He's like, nope. And I think it's because David was so cocky because he saw in the, with his spiritual eyes, God's promised me this kingdom. And again, like with Abraham, if he's promised me a kingdom, I have to be alive to take you know, the, the throne so if this guy's in the way of the throne, this is not the guy that's going to kill me. So I might as well go for it. Um, and honestly, I've had that thought in my head before too. Um, when I was younger, God had, had spoken into me that I was going to be a youth pastor and I was going to do this and do that. And there's just certain things that he's promised. And I remember like, 
before some of those promises happened, I'm like, I know I'm not going to die anytime soon because we still got these things to achieve. <laughs> but I think we've gone through a lot of them. And I'm like, all right, now I'm back at the point where it's like no one knows the day. Um, but you can have some cockiness when you know like God's promised this and it hasn't happened yet, so therefore it will. Um, so back to my notes real quick. Again, you can read through David because he has multiple examples as well. Obviously messing up uh, with Bathsheba. Um, and then it gets a curse on him. Like basically she has a son. The son dies. It's a stillborn. And he, he's like losing it. He's repenting. He's worshiping God. He, he turns back. And then he has another son with Bathsheba. And now um, because he's repented, that's Solomon. And of, of course, that's, a, that's another blessed son. So the story over and over again with different accounts in the Bible, different people is God's telling us, you, you, know, you know the path. Like, I've set you aside for something. And if you don't know exactly like what all the little roadmaps are, you know the beginning and the end. And you know when you get to a fork in the road, which one is not the way. Like, this is not the way to do this. And which one is the right way. So let's talk about that. Think about yourself with this. What has God potentially held back from you because you are trying to make it happen on your own power? Just to prove that it's not you, it's, it's him. So what has he withheld from you and why? Because you're trying to make it happen from your own power. What tasks might God take away from me and hand to the next generation because I decided to break from his path? Oftentimes, God will give us second chances, but in an example with David, um, at the end, he wants to redeem himself. He, he gets a plague put on his people. There's like 70,000 people that die, and he's like, God, what do I need to do? And a prophet tells him, buy this property and dedicate it to the Lord. So he buys the property, dedicates it to the Lord, and the, the curses stop. And then he tells God, like, I want to build a temple on here. And he's like, great heart, but you've kind of messed up. You have blood on your hands. I'll let you do it through your son. Your son will do it. So what task might God take away from me and hand to the next generation because I'm doing it the wrong way or because I've broken from his path or because I'm not righting a certain wrong? And as Pastor Omar said multiple times, I refuse to not do something and hand it off to the next generation just because I'm too lazy or I don't have enough faith or I'm not bold enough to do it. Like, let's do what we know God's asking us to do right now in the now so we're not pushing it off to our kids. Let's, let's, let's not give them more jobs to Lou. Let's, let's give them the blessings. You know, like we do the work and they can live in some of the blessings. And like there'll always be work to do, but let's like <laughs> lighten the load for, you know, let's give blessings to our children. What can I do uh, to right my wrongs? How can I repent and get back on track? Again, David did this multiple times and most of the time it's literally running to the secret place, running to, to God and he will still respect you and he will still He'll always let you back in. If you run back to Jesus, he will always let you back in. But that doesn't mean that there's not consequences for things you've done. So let's um, keep in mind what we're anointed for. And I would like Meredith to come up and um, do her Oil of the Spirit song again. Because really, if you now, through this message and through the prayer time we've had, really listen to the words that she has in this song. And I didn't really like write the sermon inspired off of her song. I just wrote what God put on my heart in the scriptures, but this morning, I'm like listening to these words, like, man, this is literally what this is for. Give us, give us oil, give us a fresh touch, give us an anointing to, to bring healing to the broken, to, to set the captives free, to, to, to spread the gospel. 
And that is what God's anointed us to do, is to take action and bring the gospel out there. It's to, to heal people, to, to free people, to do his, to, to his, um, his work, to chase after his blessings, but doing it in his way. So Lord, I just thank you today for, for using me. Lord, thank you for, um, for your healing earlier this morning, Lord. Thank you for moving. Thank you for um, teaching us, Lord, when to get out of the way, when, when to get on the path, and when, when to do what we're instructed, and when to just be patient, when to listen. And Lord, just give us instructions, Lord, in the next few days, the next few weeks, Lord. Give us uh, instructions so that we can get back on path, what you have for us, Lord. Give us discernment to know the right paths. Let us not look with spiritual eyes, Lord. I mean with uh, physical eyes, but give us the spiritual eyes, Lord, so that we can see the way you want us to see things, Lord. That we see that Goliath is just someone in the way. It's not, it's not someone threatening my life. It's just someone that's going to push me to the next level. Whereas on the battlefield, feeling surrounded, but then you open your spiritual eyes and you see all the angels that are surrounding. Lord, give us the spiritual eyes and the confidence, Lord, so that we may stay steady on the path, following the way, the way you want us to do it, Lord, and to just seek your anointing. Let's worship.
Lord, flow through us today, Lord. Use your anointing, your oil over our life as we go out into the world, Lord. Whatever anointing you have on us specifically, we're all different. We all can reach different people in different ways, different times, different methods, Lord. So we just seek that our mind is just anointed and seize the opportunities that you have for us, Lord. So that way we can seize the opportunity that, that, that we have to just bring your blessing to other people, to achieve what, what you need to, to be done. So we just declare again this anointing over all of us, Lord. Let it be evident. Let it be empowering us, Lord, that as we go out today, that there's just opportunities to grow closer to you and to bring others to you, Lord. That's what it's all about. So, Lord, we just declare a fresh touch, fresh anointing over everyone in this house and those who aren't in the house, over Pastor Cesar, Pastor Omar, Lord. We just declare a fresh touch over Hernando, over Florida. And we just declare freedom in our lives to go after what you have for us. Keep our eyes steady on the path, for this is the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Everyone feel free to go home. It's Sunday. Um, Stay if you want, go home if you want, but ponder about the things of the Lord that have been shared with you, and uh, yeah, get some food. Amen.